Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, I met you. You are not cool. I'm Trisha Bobita. I'm Greta Johnson. And this is the Nerdette Podcast. Coming up, we've got Jim DeRogatis. Anyone who knows Jim DeRogatis knows that he is a music nerd. He's been a rock critic for decades and is the co-host of the public radio show Sound Opinions. But today on the show, he tells us about this sweet little side hustle that he also nerds out about. And Greta, my homework for you this week is a surprise, so start getting excited now. First, let's talk about SEO Classics, which is a little Twitter literary experiment we did. So we initially started talking about this because we learned that often these days, nonfiction books especially have subtitles that are search engine optimized. Right. Search engine optimization. So including all the right keywords so that people who are searching for things related to what you've written about are more likely to find them. It results in words like kittens and Justin Bieber being really important to how much traffic news organizations get on their websites. And it totally bummed me out to think that authors writing nonfiction or even maybe fiction books were being pushed by their publishers to title their works of literature based on these principles of SEO. So this is what inspired us to come up with hashtag SEO classics. We took a classic book title from history and rewrote the title for search engine optimization and asked you to play along. So for an example, classic book title, The Prince and the Pauper, SEO title, What's Next for the Royal Baby? Ooh, Royal Baby, that's a really good one. A lot of people participated, thanks especially to my Vogue on Poetry, obviously. Who really got the ball rolling with our hashtag game, and we just want to give a shout out to some of our favorite responses. Greta? Oh man, they were all so good. It was really fun to go through and read these. One of my favorites is from Tim Akamoff, classic title, Lord of the Flies, SEO title, Survivor Without the Prize Money. (laughs) Darian Mason had several good ones. I liked classic title, Frankenstein, SEO title, Doctors Hate Him, 10 Shocking Secrets to a Healthy Body. (laughs) Another good one was from Andrew Gill, classic, 100 Years of Solitude, SEO, Lonely, Grab Cheap Fares to Latin America Now. And I have to say, I think The Wall Street Bull may have won in my eyes. Classic title, Anna Karenina. SEO title, The Real Housewives of Moscow. You know, that one was my favorite too, but I do think Katie O'Brien's came in a close second. Classic title, The Great Gatsby. SEO, hashtag white people problems. (laughs) It's too good. It was good. If you want to see all the responses or join our game, we're still playing if you are. Hashtag SEO Classics on Twitter. So I don't know if you want to make a big moral point out of this, but this is another reminder that conscious consumption in our lives is really important. It's super easy and often tempting to click on the link that says something about cute kittens, or in my case, corgis, but you don't have to. I had a real conundrum in this vein recently. 
There was a story from NPR and it had both space, like outer space, and Justin Bieber in the headline. <laughs> and I click on all the things about space <laughs> and none of the things about Justin Bieber. So I didn't know what to do. What did you do? I clicked on it. <laughs> and was it worth it? No. See? Conscious consumption. <laughs> there we go. So as you know, we like to think about nerd more as a verb than as a noun here at Nerdette. Right, like baseball. Baseball is a sport. Sports aren't nerdy in the traditional sense. But if you know every statistic about your favorite team and your favorite players, like my brother always has, then you're a baseball nerd. Right. So you can also nerd out about something cool, like rock and roll. And that's definitely what Jim DeRogatis does. He is a music nerd. The man is doing this for a living. He's a rock critic, and he's the co-host of the public radio program Sound Opinions. It's true. He's a professional music nerd, which is a pretty sweet gig. And he's told me on more than one occasion when we're in the office together that he is objectively cooler than me. Has he really said that to you? Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And he really is. And he doesn't mean it like that I am not cool, which I am fine with not being cool. That's that's clear. I feel like you're cool. But the thing is, is he is just objectively cooler than most people. That's fair. I guess when you talk to rock stars all day, it's hard not to be really cool. But see, I think that this other thing we're about to talk about, the thing that he really nerds out about hard, but not very many people know about, is actually one of the coolest things about him. He has this artistic passion, and, well, maybe we should just let him explain. I am a military miniaturist. I build, uh, sculpt, uh, and paint scale model figures and dioramas of uh, historic scenes. I have a deep and abiding fascination since I was a kid with uh, military history. So my particular geek-out specialty is scale miniature box dioramas of, of Napoleonic scenes. Jim's day gig is to listen to music and meet musicians and talk to rock stars, and then to unwind, he makes tiny historical scenes. He knows how many buttons are on the jacket of soldiers from different points in history and the exact right color to paint which kinds of tanks. And it turns out there's a whole world and culture surrounding this craft of building miniatures. You know, there's a really active club in Chicago called the Military Miniature Society of Illinois. And most of the guys started when they were teenagers, you know, uh, sniffing glue and putting together model tanks. In the late 60s and early 70s, there was the, the grand eminence of this hobby is a fellow named Shep Payne. You would buy a monogram model tank at the drugstore, you know, for four or five bucks. And there's a Sherman tank or a German Panzer. And he had written this series of uh, four-page full-color brochures about how, rather than just building this tank and putting it on your shelf, or, you know, I was never this kind of kid, but other boys would take it out in the backyard and blow it up with a firecracker, <laughs> you know, you should set it in this realistic setting of a diorama. He was such a great artist and so imaginative in his work uh, that inspired many of us as 12 and 13 year olds to try our hands at this. And um, then you discover sex, drugs, and rock and roll, uh, or, or usually uh, only two out of those three, mind you, <laughs> for me. I'll let you figure out which two. Uh, you know, when you're when you're late in high school or in college, you know, and you drop away from it. And then a lot of guys come back to it at 40 or 50 and uh, you know because it's nice to get away from that freaking computer and do something with your hands mind you to some people it's just toy soldiers but we're talking about a level of ambition I think that's a lot higher so there's clubs all over the world where guys do this and the military miniature societies in different 
parts of the country and in different parts of the world have these shows once a year. And it's not like, you know, first place, second place, third place. It's a more a juried art exhibition where there's as many gold medals awarded as there are gold medal pieces. And so one of the biggest in the country is in Chicago, coming up October 11th to 13th, uh, that the MMSI puts on. And there's another huge one every spring in uh, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And a lot of the European artists come. And then once every three years, there's a world expo. So it's a world gathering. You San Diego Comic-Con for miniature figure maker model guy <laughs> nerds. The last one was in Montreux a couple of years ago, and, and I got to go to Montreux. It was fun. And I showed a, a piece of my work, and I got a, a medal. And then the next one next summer is in Stressa, Italy, which is just north of Milan. I want a hobby that means I get to go to Italy. I talk my wife into uh, once every three years we go to Europe, and then there happens to be a model show at mm. the end of it. <laughs> She's less enthusiastic about the local show that's out in Schomburg. <laughs> Not as exciting a place to go, or even the Valley Forge, you know. <laughs> I'm less excited about Schomburg, yeah. Most definitely. people are. So, Jim, I have, like, all of the questions. Okay. I am so fascinated by this. You know, I should add, before you say another word, given that I'm such a fan of you two nerdettes, that there are women in this hobby, but the women tend to be much more fantasy painters, and they got into it through the Warhammer, like, miniature gaming thing, but then they were much more interested in the painting, and then they take their artistry to a whole different level. I mean, they're really, some of the best painters in the world today are these female fantasies. So so it is, uh, you know, it's largely male, but there's, there's a 30% great female artists. It's just that we're so fascinated by narrative. As long as we can have a story around it, we'll paint it. All the nerdy modelers gather, and, you know, you have these women sitting there talking about the latest Eowyn figure or, you know, which dragon is the better dragon, and then the guys are talking about the number of uh, road wheels on a Panzer tank. And, you know, <laughs> it gets, it's, it's, it's the nerdiest nerds you've talked to yet, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I bet. So, yeah, my inclination is that you're either, like, 150% into doing this or there is zero interest. It seems like the sort of hobby that you can't be kind of so-so about. Is that a fair assumption? Oh, no, I don't know about that. I think that there's um, there's some modelers who paint one or two figures a year. I think the people who are really serious about it are really serious about it. But um, uh, I, I, there's also a lot of guys who did it and don't do it anymore but still love going to the show. One of the things that I find personally, you know, just really exciting is that, uh, you know, there's doctors and lawyers and guys who make boatloads of money. And then there's the guy who fixes the conveyor belts at the Tribune pressing plant and, you know, uh, or an electrician or a plumber. You know, not in many endeavors would these guys come together. I mean, they wouldn't play golf together. They wouldn't, you know, whatever. I mean, maybe they'd wind up side by side at a Cubs game or something but but they have this shared passion and they come at it from all sorts of different angles which is really neat and I don't often get asked about music which is really good. I think on your website you said that this was a way to sort of decompress and unplug from all of that but do you have a soundtrack as you're doing this? Is there music oh, yeah. to model by? Well, well a lot of times I'm listening to whatever we're going to review on Sound Opinions you know because whenever I'm sitting there I have the radio on or I'm listening to whatever album. I mean if it's a really complicated album you know, I, I'm going to have to sit and devote myself just to that instead of painting the number of buttons on a hussar's tunic. A what now? There's a lot of buttons. The, the fancy French cavalry right. uh, had rows of buttons. Uh, go see the duelists. 
Ridley Scott's first movie. Harvey Keitel and Keith Carradine play uh, Napoleonic hussars who duel their way through the entire 15 years of the Napoleonic Wars. So when you watch movies that have these historical elements, you can tell if they have the number of buttons wrong. <laughs> yeah, you get to know stuff like this. Yeah, <laughs> You know, I help run the judging with Shep at our show in Chicago. Like I said, it's not competitive. As many gold medals are awarded as people do gold-level work. You know, but the problem is those Europeans right now, they're really good painters, so they're raising the bar oh, of painting, man. whereas I'm much more interested in storytelling. I mean, you got to think of it as a movie. It's a still from a movie, but in three dimensions. That's so what I like. It's Yeah, it's a 3D painting. You've got all the elements yeah. of production design from... The closest, yeah. yeah, the closest I've gotten to this is I had friends who were studying theater who had set design classes. Yes. And so we would go out and they would be asked to build the set to scale mm -hmm. and, you know, painstakingly putting things together. Yeah. The, the website I run, boxdioramas.com, my fellow web host is uh, a guy named Daryl Oidette who's up in uh, Winnipeg. And uh, he is taking theater design now. I was his first love. He went back to school after becoming a dental uh, guy for, for years, which is good because the dentists have all the good tools once they're they're no longer good for your teeth. They're very good for modeling. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of Hollywood guys who work for like the Stan Winston studios and do special effects. And then, you know, they, they sculpt, literally, they sculpt the alien all day in the latest, you know, in Prometheus. And then they go home and they sculpt miniature figures uh, riding a Sherman tank. So are there sort of steps to entry into this where you could go and buy a kit and the figures would already be there, but you oh, yeah. paint them and then you work your way up yeah. to actually sculpting? And oh, there's tons and tons of guys who just buy uh, figures that are cast in either white, metal, or resin, and they just paint them. They love to paint. And there's, you know, two main schools. There's the Chicago school. Nobody had ever thought to use oil paints before uh, the guys in Chicago did back in the 60s and 70s. And then there's the new fangled, especially the fantasy people use acrylics because uh, they dry quicker. But after a while, at least I did, you get more ambitious and you don't want to paint just what comes in a box. You want to either tell a story and that figure's not available, or you, you want to hone your chops sculpting. For you, what's the process of deciding what the next scene's going to be? Are you studying history? Are you keeping your eyes open for things as you're reading? How do you decide what's the next scene you're going to build? Yeah, I'm always reading history books. Uh, again, you know, I have to read so much rock biography. Uh, yeah, I've written nine books, and eight of them were about pop music, and, you know, the ninth was this one about Chef Payne. Um, so, but I'm always reading history, because I like, at the end of the day, I like to do something that's not music. I, I had just read about Napoleon and the amount of uh, art that his army pilfered <laughs> as they crossed Europe. Now, it wasn't in the way that the Nazis did it. You know, Napoleon, being a product of the French Revolution, was saying, you know, hey, we're going to take this back to France, we're going to put it in this great museum and open it to the people. And that's how the Louvre started. And to this day, a huge part of the Louvre's collection was, was stuff that Napoleon's armies had stolen. And I said, oh, that would make a good scene. Napoleon, you know, including some pieces that wound up back at home, like the Laocoon was a great Greek statue that uh, is in the Vatican. You can't buy a model kit of the Laocoon and Napoleon staring at it, so you have to learn how to sculpt it. What, tell me a little about the, the Last Supper one you were working on. I had this idea that Joe Burton, my buddy, the art teacher, gave me. He said, you know, I thought it would always be an interesting scene to show uh, the refectory where the Last Supper is housed. Leonardo was hired <laughs> to paint the painting on the wall in the dining hall where the monks ate. 
right? This was not high-purpose art. You know, it's like we eat here, you paint there, okay? <laughs> this leads me to read six books about The Last Supper, right? Almost immediately upon it being painted, people forgot how important it was and didn't care. And the monks were cheesed off that their uh, food was a little cold when it was coming out of the kitchen. So they <laughs> dug a hole in the wall and cut off Christ's feet, right? This, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? If you look today at The Last Supper, I mean, Christ has no feet. There's a hole where Christ's feet should be. So, um, you know, and then during World War II, a bomb was dropped on it, but the Italians had sandbagged the wall, and all three walls and the ceiling of the dining hall were destroyed, but the Last Supper was preserved. During the Napoleonic Wars, Napoleon's cavalry stabled its horses in the... Because, you know, they were products of the French Revolution, and France had thrown off the Catholic Church, so there was this great atheism. But Napoleon, to his credit, when one of the officers said, I think this is important, he realized what it was, and they actually began preserving it, and he made a copy that's in the Louvre to this day. That's I, the thing about the feet... The bread wasn't coming out amazing? of the kitchen right. fast enough. Right, right. Back a hole in the wall. Right. And if I pull this off correctly, you'll see what looks like a stable and a bunch of French cavalry officers, you know, sitting around playing dominoes and drinking wine. And then you'll say, what's that in the background? Oh, crap. That's the Last Supper. That's <laughs> it. You know. So you want that kind of staggered effect in three dimensions. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's like I finish one piece a year. And a lot of the guys say, well, how do you have the patience? But, uh, you know, I get up at like five in the morning. It's a very un-rock and roll thing to do. <laughs> I get up at five in the morning and I like paint and sculpt for two hours before I have to go to work. And it just makes my whole day better. That's such a nice way to enter the world every day. Oh, yeah. Instead of Twitter. <laughs> yeah. A couple of cups of coffee and paint for a little bit and then your whole day is sunnier. So what's your workspace like? I have the, the best wife in the whole wide world. <laughs> I was about to say, how nice is your wife? Well, no, it's so sad. So many of the guys have this little uh, corner in a damp, dark, horrible basement that smells oh, bad. Oh, yeah, right? that's not nice. And Carmel's just like, hey, you like doing this. So my little work table, and it's not a little, I just have tons of crap, uh, <laughs> is right in the middle of the living room. She really doesn't care, which is wonderful. Wow. Some of the guys have to, like, sneak stuff in. Not to be, like, a guy here among you two <laughs> nerdettes. But, you know, it's like, I mean, Jesus, the guy's sitting in the basement painting a little plastic man. <laughs> Far worse places for dad to be. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I'd be happy to facilitate. You would think. You would think. <laughs> With any hobby. But, but see, the whole point of your podcast, isn't it, that, 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 that you know, true love uh, can be found no matter how, uh, quote, unquote, nerdy the person is. And, Absolutely. And the, the coolest people are the people who don't care at all that they appear cool. Well, and this is this is the thing. To me, the difference between a nerd and a hipster, which is very important, a nerd likes what they like no matter how many other people like it, whether that's zero yes. or 50 million. In an unironic way. In an unironic way. A hipster likes something only if no one else likes it and then abandons it when it gets popular. Right. So right. you can be a hipster about anything. You can be a hipster about a band, about a TV yeah. show. You can be a nerd about anything. Right. So you're spending two hours a day on this. This is not like a casual thing for you. No, and, you know, but it is it is kind of social, too. I mean, one thing that's really great is that, you know, a couple of dozen guys and women whose reputation is worldwide, and they make a living doing this, and their pieces sell for, you know, $10,000. And they are, you know, so willing to sit with you, who is just trying to paint green the right way on an army guy, <laughs> uh, and, and talk about techniques. It's a very sharing thing. You know, Shep Payne had written this book, How to Build Dioramas, and it came out uh, in the 80s. 
And, you know, literally it has sold seven or 800,000 copies worldwide and has wow. been published in 10 languages, you know, and, and it's sort of the Bible. And that's really neat. And that's why I started that website is to highlight artists and also have a place people talk about, which is what nerds do. So where, if someone wants to see some of these, where are the best places, either online or in real life, that they could go and see some of these up close? Well, yeah, you know, you can go to our our website, boxdioramas.com. But there's also two great forums. One's called Planet Figure and one's called Timelines, where guys show all sorts of work in progress and it brings you up to date on the new kit releases. And then, you know, the MMSI show is in, in October in Schomburg. The MFCA, Miniature Figure Collectors of America, is in the spring every year in May in Valley Forge. You know, the Big World Expo is in Italy <laughs> next year. I've saved up my pennies. I bought my ticket yesterday. I'm, I'm really psyched. Carmel's psyched, too. We're going, you know, we're going to drink wine in Piedmont for a week and then go to the show. See, though, I'm such a worrywart. All I could think of was when you said, I bought my plane ticket, was this thing you spent a year working on has to get on a plane and yeah. no one can crush it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I had a special box, and I just carried it with me, and, and they were nice enough on the last plane to let me put it in the in the closet in first class. And, uh, yeah, but it made it back, made it there and back in one piece. A couple of my other boxes have sold, which is nice. I've written books that I've made less on than some of these pieces, and I've written books that I've made more. You make money off of both of your nerdy passions? Writing about music and making miniatures? It's kind of a scam. Uh. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I what just, is the secret, Jim? Uh, Have we just exposed you to the world, uh, No, Jim? no. I, I sold my soul <laughs> to Satan quite some time ago. But I, oh, okay. No problem. I do my best to offend, uh, you know, <laughs> almost every source of power in the world. Not fellow people, but I mean, you know, from Lollapalooza and Live Nation and Mayor Emanuel. I mean, you know, I make enemies. I don't, I don't know why I have a good karma making a living doing this. <laughs> no, it's great. We love it. Thanks to Jim DeRogatis for talking with us. You can see some great photos of his dioramas at boxdioramas.com. And you can hear him every week nerding out about music with his co-host Greg Cott on Sound Opinions. Is it time for the surprise? Homework surprise. Yay, what is it? Okay, Greta, guess what I saw a friend of mine reading they had a paperback in their hand, a book that I did not know existed, but have now purchased on the interwebs and will soon be at my house and hopefully soon at your house. Oh, man. I'm going to be really sad if you already know about this because I'm really excited to tell you. I don't think I know about this. I'm so confused and curious. So before Game of Thrones, George R.R. R. Martin wrote a book. It's actually a series of stories that were first published in a magazine and then became a book called Tough Voyaging. Are you familiar with Tough Voyaging? No. What on earth are you talking about? The book that is on its way to your house is Tough Voyaging. And you know how I know we're going to like this book? How? Because there's space cats on the cover. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Trisha, it's beautiful. I might weep. That's so beautiful. It came highly recommended from a couple of friends of mine who have stumbled across this book. <laughs> There's a link up on nerdatpodcast.com from io9. They unearthed it recently, too. But, you know, especially after how dark things have gotten in Game of Thrones, it's nice to see that George R.R. R. Martin can write a really complicated story, but one that has the whimsy of space cats in it. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> so, everyone, pick up a copy in your used bookstore or interwebs book outlet Tough Voyaging. We're going to read it together. It's going to be fun. Wow, that's awesome homework. Thanks, Trisha. You're welcome. 
I really love when homework has presents. I know. When homework involves space cats is what I love. And space cats, exactly. Space cats magically showing up in your mailbox is pretty glorious, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Greta, what's your homework for us this week? My homework for this week is to go to our website and read the post I wrote while I was maybe dying with strep throat. Yeah, in case anyone was wondering where we were last week, Greta had a touch of the plague. Yeah, it was pretty rough. I I wasn't sure if I was going to make it through the tunnel, but I did after some fever dreams involving Nerdette actually taking over Prague in in a benevolent way, of course. Yeah, we could handle Prague. Oh, totally. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Anyway, I was sick over the Labor Day weekend, which means I had a lot of time on my hands and I was a little bit at a loss of what to watch since, you know... We're still in the summer. There's not a whole lot coming out these days. You can only watch the newest episode of Breaking Bad so many times before things are starting to look pretty dark out there. So I wrote up a little post about the shows that I did manage to find and really enjoyed watching in my weird feverish state, one of which is Broadchurch, which you've seen, right, Tricia? Right. I just finished watching that online recently. This is the BBC drama starring David Tennant, who many folks know from Doctor Who. That's what hooked me into watching the show. It also has... Arthur Darville, who plays Rory Williams, so lots of Doctor Who crossover, because, you know, there's only so many of those British dudes. Doctor Who fans should be warned, though, that the character David Tennant plays in Broadchurch is no doctor. He is very different. This is a sad, sad David Tennant. I would also add that this show is not an easy watch. This is not really a sit-down-with-a-bowl-of-popcorn kind of TV show. It's a very dark look at what happens to a community after a young boy is murdered. It's pretty grim, but it's really compelling and really well done. I highly recommend it. That and a couple of other shows are listed in a post I wrote about what to watch if you were as sick as I was or if you're just bored or have a lot of time or whatever. It's on our website, nerdatpodcast.com. Lots of other stuff at nerdatpodcast.com, like all our old episodes and homework from previous weeks if you need to play catch up. Don't worry if you're behind on the homework. Earnest efforts are all we really care about around here. And if you just went back to school in some form or fashion, catch up now because you're about to have real homework. <laughs> and Nerd App Podcast homework is way better. Yeah, way better. Because they're space cats. Duh. That's it for today. Thanks to Jim Durogatis for joining us and to all those Twitter folks who helped us with SEO Classics. Thanks for listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. Give us some stars if you're feeling like a wonderful person. BJ Lederman did not compose our theme. You're listening to Pottington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.